Today, we will um, break from our series through Hebrews in order to consider a biblical approach to Christmas for modern followers of Jesus. How should we celebrate Christmas? It seems the debate rages stronger every year. What is Christmas supposed to be? Are we imposing our religion on others when we say, Merry Christmas? Are we? No. <laughs> what do you mean by Christmas? The word is actually um, a contraction of two words, Christ and Mass, which is a word for a service of worship. So Christmas basically means Christ worship. And what if someone feels the very idea of worshiping Christ is blasphemous? Do we want them to overlook the Christ part as if we didn't really mean it that way? Okay, think about it. Would an honest negative reaction to Christmas be worse? Or would it be worse if such words as Christ and worship completely lost their meaning? Should nativity scenes be allowed in public buildings? Can children sing Christmas songs in public schools? Should the word Christmas be posted on bulletin boards at daycares and businesses? Should we as Christians boycott stores that shift from greeting people with Merry Christmas to the more inclusive Happy holidays. Well, in all honesty, I would say no to some of those hypotheticals and perhaps yes to others. But the important point is that none of those battles are the ones we should be fighting. And sure, like any follower of Jesus, it saddens me that more and more of our culture couldn't care less about the Christ part of Christmas. But really, what did we expect? <clears throat> By the way, a significant portion of the world has never heard of Christ or Christmas. That's not something we like to consider, but we should. There's an announcement in your bulletin about a special offering for people, missionaries, who are trying to change that our annual global missions offering. But back to the topic at hand, should Christians be telling the world they ought to be celebrating Christmas or that their Christmas ought to be about Christ? Is that our mission? See, I'm far less concerned about defending the outward expressions of Christmas than I am with the fact that most of the people I see shopping for presents, hanging lights on their homes, and hauling off trees in their cars are lost. As they hustle and bustle through one more December, many of our neighbors are that much closer to an eternity separated from God. And why don't they know how to be spared from that horror? Maybe it's because too many Christians were too busy about Christmas to tell their neighbors about the cross. Personally, I think it would be better to divide over Christ than over the 
proper practice of Christmas. Newsflash, we live in a secular culture more than ever. What if our discussions and statements and bumper stickers and tweets and posts about Christmas centered on who Jesus is and the hope of his gospel rather than a defense of our traditional expressions of Christmas? What if instead of telling everyone they should remember the reason for the season or to keep Christ in Christmas, we ourselves learned how to make Christmas about honoring and glorifying Christ? I'm not sure it really honors Christ to keep just a little bit of him all packaged up and tucked neatly away inside the same Christmas that the rest of our heathen culture celebrates. Now, am I saying Christmas is a bad thing and Christians should not celebrate it? No, I am not. Am I saying you shouldn't do a tree or give any gifts or to your kids, your family, friends? No, not necessarily. Depends on your own conscience and how you feel about these things. In our family, we keep those traditions still in very thoughtful ways. But it does take effort to make sure those things honor Christ, I can tell you. And so I'm not singling out any one tradition as bad to do or good to do, because as usual, it's just not that simple. As the Apostle Paul said, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols if your heart is right. But if your heart is wrong, you might just be worshiping demons. So what am I saying? I'm absolutely saying that there are a lot of ways Christ followers can mess up when it comes to Christmas. There are a lot of ways to worship idols during the Christmas season. There are a lot of ways to divide. There are a lot of ways to preach the wrong message at Christmas and offend the world with lesser offenses rather than to confront them with the Christ who died on a cross and rose again so they could be saved. There are many ways to do anything but honor Christ at Christmas. Now, let's get some perspective. Did you know that Christians, the church, have only celebrated the birth of Christ as a holiday in the last few centuries? The fact is that the nativity scene is a man-made invention. The modern nativity scene is an icon somebody came up with to symbolize the place where Jesus was born. Much of it is conjecture. For example, we assume the stable because of the manger. This is not the battle we should be fighting. Did you know that many of the Christmas traditions we hold dear actually have their roots in paganism? Oh, I don't like this sermon at all. <laughs> oh, I can read your thoughts. I can remember when I found out the historical truth about Christmas, and I really, really didn't like it. The truth is that Christmas trees, gift-giving, the date of December 25th, and many other Christmas traditions actually find their historical roots in dead religions that were anything but Christian. That's the truth, and you might as well know it. Here's what happened. The Catholic Church of that time set out to redeem an ancient pagan festival, one annually celebrated at the end of this month. And the church wanted to turn that into a holy day about the birth of Christ. This is true for most of the holidays. 
And the problem is that in every case, some of the old pagan traditions stuck around. They just weren't able to get people to drop those. And I'm not really concerned about those traditions, folks, because again, we can rise above all that. We have freedom in Christ. Read Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 10, or the entire book of Galatians to understand that we are not forbidden from such things. Don't fret about the ancient historical roots of certain traditions as long as your conscience is not wounded by these things. But also, don't try to act like our current traditions, partially derived from pagan ones, need to be defended in the name of Christ. For me, the Christmas tree reminds me of the cross. We even hang a spike nail on ours each year to help redeem our tree, making it meaningful for us. But let me tell you, if you think a Christmas tree is pagan and it offends your conscience, then by all means, don't have one. But also, try not to be bothered that others do. In my family, giving generous gifts reminds us of the greatest gift ever given. Christ himself, as well as the gifts of the wise men. So we continue to exchange gifts. But if you think it's all just too materialistic, by all means, don't do it. You are not more or less Christian if you choose to avoid or practice these traditions. As for December 25th, since we don't know the actual date of Jesus' birth, it's as good a time as any. But do me a favor and don't act like we're offending the Holy Trinity if we don't make a point to celebrate all the Sundays of Advent, which may well be a good thing to do, but it's found absolutely nowhere in Scripture. We're not told to do it, nor does it appear the early church did any such thing. In terms of learning from their example or using Scripture as our guide, you'll have to forgive me if I don't always spend an entire month on Christmas while only setting aside one particular Sunday for Easter. I've said recently there's a good reason to celebrate the birth. But I'd like you to also hear me say that it's possible to overemphasize it. I believe that. And while I'm on it, watch out for the idol of nostalgia. Do not be so sure that you cannot drive God to jealousy even though your intentions are good. Christmas is the most nostalgic holiday of them all. Nostalgia is not bad, but neither is it Christ. So, what in the world is my point in all of this? I know, I know. It's been a bit of a rant today. But give me a little leeway pretty pleased, and now I will get to the point, or at least a point, which is this. The Christmas holiday is not what I want to be found defending. The truth is that we don't really have biblical grounds from which to defend the idea of the holiday or certainly tr certain traditions of Christmas. Christmas will be what Christmas will be in different cultures at different times for different families. I can tell you that missionaries are not going into places where they have never heard of Christ and making sure those heathens start celebrating Christmas. Not happening. Let's keep some perspective on this stuff. There's no reason to divide over any of it. The truth is that for many, Christmas is still as pagan and ungodly as it ever was. For some, it's an excuse to get drunk. 
For some, it's a chance to look holier or more religious than the neighbors. For some, it's the height of materialism. For others of us, Christmas is deeply spiritual, meaningful. Something that can please God. But it's not as if God defined what a celebration of Christmas should look like in Scripture, folks. It's not even as if we are commanded to celebrate Christmas at all. But we are commanded to do a whole lot of other things in the church. And those things will always be our focus at Go Church. Additionally, the fact is that because as a holiday, it is a man-made invention, Christmas will change over time. But the important thing to remember is that the Christ of Christmas will not change at all. Listen, the unchanging Christ of Christmas is the one worth proclaiming and defending, not the changing traditions of Christmas in our world. And that's what I'm saying. So what are we to do? Well, first, we should absolutely not expect unsaved people, meaning the majority of Americans and the vast majority of Northwesterners, to keep Christ in Christmas. Don't even wish that they would. Because the Christ they would keep is an idol created in their own image. If they really knew about Christ and his message, they would be all that more committed to kicking him out of their Christmas. The true Christ said, those who do not come to me in faith will eventually be cast into a fiery hell. Yes, Jesus actually said that several times in different ways. Why? Because of love, our slogan. Because of love, that's right, absolutely, because of love. Or do you think it would be loving to conceal someone's terminal diagnosis while also failing to mention the fact that a cure is available? Would that be love? No. So Jesus told us the truth. Why is the true message of Christ so offensive to the world at Christmas time or otherwise? Only because they reject his identity. If they really believed that God came to earth, they could not possibly be offended because only a fool would be offended rather than convicted by what the Creator actually said. For our part, we know and believe God did come to earth. And he told humankind the truth of their situation and how to be saved from it. But rather than repent, folks decided it'd be better to kill him. And make no mistake, people are still trying to kill Jesus today. One of the easiest ways to kill Jesus, in effect, is to just relegate him down to a person people can think of as an innocent baby laying in a manger. Let me say that if you can steal Jesus from our yards or from our churches, our Jesus is too small. This is not the Jesus we want to convey to the world. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born, prophets prophesied that the true Christ would deeply offend all those who don't believe he is God's son, God in the flesh. I'd personally rather see the efforts of those who oppose a Christian Christmas succeed than to water down the Christ of Christmas until he's no longer offensive. I was just a, just a philosopher, just a guy from history. Why, why not celebrate 
That's the worst thing that could happen. Are you out there fighting in the field of ideas to keep Christ in Christmas without ever really talking about who Christ is? About what he did for us on the cross, about his resurrection, about his return. Maybe Jesus is the reason for the season, but who in the world is Jesus? Who is the Christ of Christmas? That's the real question here. And so for the rest of our time, I'd like to give you a brief reminder. Because in case you don't realize it, the world pulled over your eyes will tend to mean one thing more than anything else. And that is that you won't really understand or remember who Jesus Christ is. That's the whole goal of our enemy with all of this culture war stuff. And sometimes I think Christmas is one of the best smoke screens he has. Who is the Christ of Christmas? We'd best remember today. Listen to this warning from the Apostle Peter. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Now think about this in terms of our culture. I think there was a time when more of our culture knew who Christ was. And Christmas wasn't such a smokescreen. According to this verse, that means our culture is worse off now than if they had never known. I don't have time to go far into that, but a missionary who serves in a place where they've never heard in the first place will get what I mean. A lack of knowledge about Christ is better than false knowledge. My bigger point with this verse today, though, is that the way out of the defilements of this world, whether in terms of a worldly Christmas or otherwise, is through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see that there? The way we escape the defilements of this world, which would include certain pitfalls that surround our cultural celebrations of Christmas, is through our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To fix your Christmas, remember Christ as Lord and Savior. That's how I'm applying this verse. Somebody says, hey, my Christmas doesn't need to be fixed, Pastor. Well, maybe that's true, but for somebody here, it does. So work with me, and also, maybe you can at least double-check yourself on this. Christ is the one who said, the truth will set you free. The Bible also tells us that Christ is the truth. And so one way we can take that is um, that understanding the truth about Christ is how we are set free. Set free from what? From the world, for one thing. Just as we read in 2 Peter a moment ago, this first happened when you came out of the world initially by faith in Christ, that is, if you ever were saved. And, and know that Christ is also the way back out of worldliness if you ever wander back down into the mire. I know it sounds crazy, but I actually think Christmas has a strong tendency to become a worldly season for Christians. As with all of Satan's tools, this one is subtle and can feel right rather than wrong. But I think it is absolutely true that Christmas can pull you away from Christ. How do we navigate Christmas as Christians 
in a secular society? How do we escape the defilements of the world? What does it say? Through our knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's remember who Jesus is. And I'm assuming you already accept that Jesus is God in the flesh, sent, us to, sent to save us by his own death and resurrection, things we preach constantly here. If you don't know about that or believe that, let's have a conversation. But assuming you got that part, we're going to talk about the personality and character of the Christ of Christmas today. Let's find a light for our path in order to escape the defilement of any worldliness that might have uh, seeped into our Christmases as Christians. Who is the Christ of Christmas? First of all, Christ is caring. Caring. The Christ of Christmas is caring. Let the little children come to me, he said. And weren't those kids beautiful this morning and such a blessing, special, standing up here in front of the wonderful parents and grandparents who made sure to have their families in church today. Precious in his sight. Amen. Jesus cares for them. This is the Christ of Christmas. A man who was also God who cares about children. And in some ways, in the best ways, Jesus treats us all as his children. We are those to whom he says, come. Let them come. And let me care for you. In many ways, helpless without him. Dependent in need of his care. And as his children, Jesus didn't leave us without making promises. He told us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. He talked about his people as if they were sheep under his care. Like lambs he would place on his shoulder and carry when the way becomes too much. Jesus said the shepherd knows his sheep and he cares for them. This is the Christ of Christmas. He cares. I really want you to think about the fact that Jesus cares for you today. And in doing so, you'll realize that Jesus Christ is not still to be found in the manger of a stable, helpless and needing care himself. No, instead, he offers his care to you as his child, even his infant. Because this is how he sees you, innocent and helpless. Or as he once said, as those who he longs to gather under his wings like a hen with her cute little chicks. <laughs> People who come to Christ with wounded hearts and heavy burdens find rest and shelter and care. See folks, this one who we would fight to keep in Christmas with our bumper stickers and tweets does not need our help at all. No, Christ is the most powerful being in the universe, and yet he cares about you and me. Astoundingly, somehow, the Christ of Christmas cares about the fact that once again, it's Christmas, and you're broke. You know? Seriously, he cares about that because he cares about you. He's real. He's here, and he cares. 
We can see the caring heart of Christ in the way he touched the untouchable, loved the unlovable, the way he spoke, the way he lived, the way he died, even saying from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Christ of Christmas is a Savior who deeply cares about those he died to save. He cares about your pain and he cares about you. So think about it. How can you honor this caring Christ at Christmas. We are called to be his ambassadors, right? We are his body, his family. That's what the church is. And we are also his representatives in the world. What would Christ be pleased with in terms of a celebration that would honor his birth, do you think? Maybe we should spend hundreds of hours planning, practicing, and performing a big overblown concert or a play. Maybe we should spend all of our time and money putting lights on our houses for Jesus. Maybe we should uh, watch a few ungodly Christmas movies every year as a, as a family tradition. Maybe we should buy even more and more stuff. Maybe not. Okay, I'm being a little facetious. And there's nothing wrong with a concert or giving gifts you can afford, but listen... If Jesus really cares, if that's who he is, maybe we should find new ways to care at Christmas too. See what I'm saying? What if the best celebration of Christmas is caring enough to serve in a shelter? What if the best celebration of Christmas is caring uh, enough to go, you know, be participate in some of the things that we're doing through our go groups and some of the ministries that we do? But that ought to be just the icing, the icing on your cake. What are you leading your family to do? You don't have to wait for a top-down approach to ministry. That never works as well as Christians just actually being Christians in the world. What are you waiting for? Show the caring heart of Christ somewhere, somehow, and hopefully in many ways, and let Christ redeem your Christmas into something that actually honors Him. What else do we know about the Christ of Christmas? Secondly, He is healing what kind of healing is Christ? He's physical and mental healing, he's emotional healing, and he's spiritual healing. Healing is the nature of Christ, the great physician, the Bible calls him. So understand that this is part of his identity. Healing is not just something Jesus did sometimes while physically present on earth, but rather his very name is healing. The heart of the identity of Christ is to heal people. It was prophesied that the Lord's Christ would be a healer. Scripture written hundreds of years before he came uh, predicted it. This is one of the most overt ways that Jesus identified himself as God's son, by healing. The Bible says this, John the Baptist, who was now in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah we've been waiting for, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John. And tell them about what you've heard and seen. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell them God blesses those who are not offended by me. See, all of those things were predicted of God's Son, the Messiah. In Old Testament books like Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and others, it, it was said that the Christ would do all of these humanly impossible things. And here Jesus is doing them before many witnesses. Even the writings, writers of secular, his, um, secular histories um, outside of the Bible 
record the healing miracles of Jesus. It was known. He truly healed people, and He still does. Jesus Christ still heals people today. I truly believe that I have seen people miraculously healed by Christ more than once. For real. I also believe God heals people far more than we realize. I believe the Lord has probably healed you before. I believe He's healed me. I'm not convinced that Jesus uses so-called faith healers. And I don't believe healing usually happens at the front of an auditorium so that some flawed person can start to be seen as a superhero. But make no mistake, Christ is still in the healing business. And yet He doesn't always heal everyone, does He? No, in fact, every single act of healing I've witnessed will ultimately fail. What I mean is that even though I've seen cancer disappear through prayer and I've seen people recover beyond the belief of watching doctors, eventually everyone dies. Okay, so we know that already. God told us outside of the prospect of living until the return of Christ, we will face death. Therefore, to expect Christ to always heal is to expect and make a liar of himself. He told us we would eventually die. More than that, the Bible says we're all in the process of dying all the time. He told Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit, you're going to begin to die, and then you're going to die some more, and eventually you'll be dead. They passed that on to us, and so in some sense, mankind begins to die at birth. That's the curse of sin. God never promised that with enough faith, we would always be healed from every physical ailment that would ever experience on earth. On the contrary, He told us we would not always be healed, and that there would be pain, and eventually we would die. So, what about death? Well, for a believer in Christ, that is where the permanent kind of healing kicks in. Jesus is the ultimate healer because He has the ability to heal us beyond death. The promise of God is that all of those who place their faith in Christ will eventually receive permanent healing. It's not really if we will be healed, but when and to what extent. The Bible says everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man, but all who are related to Christ, the other man, will be given new life. Speaking of the second coming of Christ, the Bible says it will happen in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies, and then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. Now that's what I call healing, permanent healing. The power and the healing nature of Christ is in the fact that one day He will heal us completely and forever. He heals us, whether temporarily today or permanently someday, because it is His nature. The Christ of Christmas is healing. So, how do we honor this healing Christ in the way we celebrate Christmas? Well, an extra level of prayer comes to mind. For one thing, we could pray for more healing during Christmas. Would that truly honor Christ? Have you ever heard the phrase, it's a Christmas miracle? You know, I was thinking about that, and oddly enough, I think that that could kind of be a biblical way to keep Christ as Lord of Christmas. I mean, if we're remembering the point in history when God came into the world, celebrating the birth of Christ, the healer, could that not be a time when maybe, just maybe, God breaks through a little more often and does a little bit more? Maybe it's because we have a little more prayer, or maybe we have a little more faith. And if during this season we're looking more to Christ, does that mean nothing? 
Doesn't our faith and our focus play a role in healing? Oh, I think the Bible is clear that that's the case. And so if we're honoring Christ and seeking Christ more at Christmas, I can see how God might do a little bit more on the supernatural side, don't you think? Maybe God heals a little bit more at Christmas. Maybe we might even come to expect it. I don't know, but I like the idea, and that sounds like a holiday worth celebrating to me. I think it actually could honor Christ to expect special and healing moments at Christmas. Isn't that at least part of what faith is? Expectation. Beyond all that, if ultimate healing is better than temporary healing, we have a message to share, don't we? I mean, we have the cure. What better way to celebrate Christmas than seeing someone receive ultimate healing? Meaning the promise of eternal life as they respond to the gospel and put their trust in Jesus as Savior. I do believe that the Lord wants to heal every single person of their sin disease. He wants to heal your spirit, to redeem your sickly soul, and He's made a way to do it through the cross. All you have to do is receive by grace, through faith, His gift. When you do, you experience the spiritual healing of Christ, and that is what Christmas should be all about. Thirdly, Christ is righteousness. Essentially, righteousness is to be completely and totally, always and forever right about everything, both in heart or character and in action. There is, in fact, a right and wrong. The Christ of Christmas not only demonstrated what is right by His life, but He actually defines what is right by who He is. There is absolute truth, and Jesus is that truth. The righteousness of Christ is based not only on the fact that He lived a perfectly moral life or even on the fact that He never sinned, but that Christ is actually the definition of sinlessness, the standard of righteousness. Christ is the righteousness of God manifested before watching worlds. Whatever and whoever Jesus is, is right. It is not that He measures up, but that He is Himself the measure of righteousness. Now, those are certainly ridiculous claims if Jesus is simply a cool teacher philosophy dude from ancient history. If the birthday of Jesus is just a good excuse for a fun holiday, then those statements are insane. But the truth is that Christ wasn't just one more baby in a manger or one more convict on a cross. Who was He? He was the righteousness of God. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came that He would be called Mighty God. Jesus would be called Mighty God, the Prince of Peace and Everlasting Father. He said those would be the names of this Messiah who would be born of a virgin to become the Savior of the world. Because Jesus Christ was Mighty God in the flesh, the way He lived and the things He said are right for all of the world, and they are right for me no matter what it means. Again, centuries before Christ was even born, Isaiah prophesied, He will bring full justice to all who have been wronged. He will not stop until truth and, here it is, righteousness prevail throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for His instruction. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath and life to everyone in all the world, and it is He who says, I, the Lord, have called you, Jesus, to demonstrate my righteousness. I will guard and support you, for I have given you to my people as the personal confirmation of my covenant with them, and you will be a light 
to guide all nations to me. Now, how do we celebrate or honor this part of the identity of Christ at Christmas? You might think, well, I suppose we could try to be more righteous at this time of year. While that sounds good, I don't think that it works for several reasons. For one thing, the very idea that you will try to be better for a month means you'll be worse for 11 months. God deserves more than one month of your best. Secondly, you'll never be more righteous by trying harder. Which takes me to how we can honor the righteousness of Christ at Christmas. We can press into our relationship with Him. You want to do something that matters at Christmas? Spend more time with Jesus. Only as we abide with Christ will the fruit of righteousness come out of our lives. He is our only hope for righteous thoughts and righteous actions. As they say, wise men still seek Him. So take time to seek out Jesus, and that's when you'll find His righteousness. Let's review. The Christ of Christmas is caring, He is healing, He is righteousness, and He is also Emmanuel. You'll see this word spelled with either an E or an I. Both are officially acceptable spellings for the same word. Let's read about this from Matthew's account. Now, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now, by the way, the words in parenthesis there are not added in, but they are indeed found in the original text. The original author wanted to include the meaning of this title so there would be no confusion. And so not only is God with us the meaning of Emmanuel, but the meaning, not just the name, is what the author, author wanted to get across. Emmanuel is the reason that I celebrate Christmas. This is the reason for the party, for the holiday, for Christmas. God was not with us in this way before. But now He has been with us and He continues to be with us. Emmanuel is a name for Christ because in Christ, God is with us like never before. That's the heart of the holiday right there. Some say that we should not be celebrating Christmas in the church at all. Jehovah's Witnesses and others don't celebrate it. But they aren't the only ones these days. I have heard that there is a movement against Christmas in some conservative, uh, orthodox churches. And I don't automatically disagree with all of their points, for the record. They say that there's no biblical reason to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ with a holiday, that the cross and the empty tomb are worth celebrating, but not His birth. And they say it's a newer invention of the church, which is true. But to be clear, I don't agree about ditching Christmas 
in the church. I do believe that the moment God, the moment of God coming to earth in human form is worthy of celebration. After all, the birth of Jesus was certainly worthy of celebration for the shepherds, was it not? His birth was worthy of celebration for the wise men who came from the east just to give him gifts and bow before him in worship. And yes, I'm aware that they didn't actually make it for the first night, but they were on their way, and that's my point. The birth of Christ was worthy of celebration for Simeon, who had been longing and looking for this to happen, and for Anna, the temple prophetess, who praised God at the sight of the birth of the baby Jesus in Jerusalem. The birth of Christ was even worthy of celebration for the preborn John the Baptist, who the Bible says leapt in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when her pregnant cousin Mary came near. In short, the birth of Emmanuel, the physical arrival of God with us, was worthy of celebration for everyone who knew and believed at the time except for one person, the evil King Herod. He tried to have the baby Jesus killed. I might say to those Christians who are saying that it's wrong to celebrate Christmas, that they're on the same side of history as Herod. And they would appear to be looking down upon the shepherds, the angels, and those men from the east who were indeed wise. Now, I think we have been right in setting aside a season to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, because only in Him and only because He came do we have hope. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So how do we let this inform or perhaps even change our individual celebrations of Christmas? How do we allow this knowledge of Christ to help us escape the defilements of the world? I think like Mary, we need to treasure and ponder this profound and mysterious truth in our hearts at Christmas. Holy God inside a helpless baby. Unimaginable, yet it happened. The awe and the joy and the mystery of Christmas are all found in this God became one of us. And if that wasn't enough, even as Emmanuel, he was born to an exiled peasant family who didn't own so much as a crib laid in a trough used to feed animals, God arrived. This is the love of Christ on display, the extent of His care for us. This is the length to which Almighty God was willing to go in order to make a way for you and me. Christ is both the gift and the giver. He is life and light and joy and peace to all who will slow down long enough to believe. To believe. To believe what? You may have noticed one of the secular messages of Christmas is to believe. It's really interesting, isn't it? That somehow the idea of believing in something at Christmas would be retained by a secular culture. I'm not going to go far with this. But can you not recognize that these powerful messages to believe in something, in anything other than God with us, is idolatry? Can you not see how believing in other things connected to Christmas can complete, compete for our, the attention of our souls and the souls of our children? 
movie after movie, message after message, carefully designed to teach our children, and really even some adults, that if they will only believe, they will receive. What they're to believe upon at Christmas is anything but Emmanuel, anything but God in Christ. And what they would receive for their belief is anything but forgiveness of sin, anything but salvation and eternal life with God. Can you not see it? Listen and remember this. The truth you and your children need to believe about Christmas is summed up in one word. Emmanuel. The word means God with us. God came to us. He came down from heaven as Jesus Christ and he came to save us from sin. Christmas is a time to believe. They all say. I mean, belief is in the air. Just believe. Only believe. But everything else you would put your hope in besides Christ is vain. Everything else you would be led to believe during this season is empty and hollow and potentially idolatrous. In truth, all of those other things you would believe in at Christmas time are lies. We honor Christ when we believe the truth of his identity. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Let's move on to the fifth thing we need to understand about our Christ and who He is. He is our salvation. As devout Jews, Mary and Joseph took their firstborn son to the temple when he was eight days old. The Bible says that a man named Simeon was led by the Spirit of God to meet them there as one of the remnant of Israel who truly longed for the Messiah, had faith in His coming. Simeon had been promised by God that he would not die before seeing the Savior. Luke records the words of Simeon in the format of a song. Perhaps Simeon actually sang these words uh, over the baby Jesus on the scene. Maybe Luke just wrote a song about it. We don't know. Either way, the rhyme and the rhythm are lost in translation, but these are the lyrics to what has been called the Song of Simeon from Luke 2, starting at verse 29, as he holds Jesus in his arms, this, this man of faith, this Simeon, Lord, now I can die. <laughs> Did you get that? Did you get just that? Jesus, Lord, he's, now I can die. It's okay. It's okay. Now I can die in peace. As you promised me, I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations. He's the glory of your people, Israel. Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel and will be their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy to many others. Unspeakable joy, Connor, that we sang about this morning. The heart of Simeon's message is this, now we can die in peace. Because now we have a Savior. You know, the salvation of Christ really is simple as John 3, 16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, perish being a forever death kind of a thought, but have eternal life. Jesus is our salvation. He saves us even from death. Hebrews 2.14, we covered recently in our series, says it well, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power, doesn't have it anymore. 
But before Emmanuel, they had the power of death. The very name Jesus means God saves. That's what Jesus means. God is salvation. As it says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. Under all heaven, there is no other name for men to call upon to save them. I must say that there is no better way to celebrate Christmas than to turn to the Savior and be saved. Second, only that if you can help someone else come to that point, that's pretty good too. Christmas ought to be an evangelistic season for the church. Don't just talk about the birth. Don't just talk about the reason for the season. Get a chance, share the gospel, not just the baby in the crib in a manger. There's no better time to help someone surrender to the Savior. Who is the Christ of Christmas again? Let's walk through the acrostic. Can you say it with me? I, I don't know if you noticed, but it spells the word Christ. That might help a little bit. Um, so the first one is C. Here we go. He is caring. He is healing. He is righteousness. He is Emmanuel. He is salvation. And lastly, church family, he is trustworthy. You can trust the Christ of Christmas. He was faithful to do all that God the Father asked him to do, and you can trust him to do all that he's promised to do for us as well. Christ of Christmas is trustworthy. The baby who was Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, the Bible says, until one day he said this, and this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them to eternal life at the last day. And he also said, my sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them away from me. I want to acknowledge the fact that we live in a day when trust has been uh, truly eroded. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to trust anyone these days, isn't it? We hear about children being abused by friends and family. Uh, we hear about identities being stolen and everyone suing each other back and forth. Friends betraying friends. Adultery. Scams and schemes. I remember hearing many years ago that priests, pharmacists, pharmacists and pastors, priests, pharmacists, and pastors were the most trusted professions. Uh, well, I'm not sure that's still true. <laughs> Who can you trust? Well, you can trust Jesus. <laughs> Maybe it sounds tried at first. But let's think about what this really means. To be able to trust Jesus without question. What does it mean to have someone in your life who you can really, really trust? It means you have an anchor. It means you have a foundation. It means that even if everything and everyone else falls away and fails... Even your closest companion, even your husband or wife, as painful as it would be, you still have someone there helping you stand up. This is a comfort when you believe it because Jesus is a real spiritual presence. He's real. If you have received Christ by faith, then he is with you now and you can trust him. As King David put it, and I'm using a paraphrase just to put a fresh twist on this passage that most of us know. He said, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. 
He lets me rest in the meadow grass and leads me beside the quiet streams. He gives me new strength. He helps me do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I'll not be afraid. For you are close beside me, guarding, guiding all the way. You provide delicious food for me in the presence of my enemies. You have welcomed me as your guest. Blessings overflow. Your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all of my life. And afterwards, I will live with you forever in your home. He is our shepherd. He is our guide. He takes care of us. He loves us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will carry us through. He is caring, healing, righteousness. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our salvation, and He is trustworthy. You can trust Christ to be the person we've talked about today and more. I didn't have time to uh, cover the whole Bible, so I just picked six wonderful truths to remember about Jesus. The last one is that you can trust Him to be who He is. Caring and healing and righteous and Emmanuel and Savior. You can trust Christ to be all of these things. You can trust the one who gave Himself for you at the manger and the cross. You can trust His power to see you through and His promises of eternal life in God may be the best way to celebrate the reason for the season is for every member and attender of Go Church every person in the sound of my voice at this moment to truly trust in the Christ of Christmas. Have you been trusting? Is that where you're at? Spiritually, emotionally, is that where you're at today? Honestly, have you been trusting in Christ with it all? How can you celebrate Christmas? Trust Christ. Just trust Him. You can trust Him. How is that? Uh, only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Wait, there's a whole bunch of trust hymns. Maybe if you're a hymn person and you have a hymnal home or you have the internet, go home and look up the trust, the trust um, hymns and then let that encourage you. I hope maybe you've received a few truths to take home today that can help you escape the defilements of the worldly Christmas. Truths to help make sure you are really celebrating Christ this Christmas. One last time, Christ is caring, healing, righteousness, Emmanuel, salvation, and He's trustworthy. I know some of you won't be able to make it, but I do hope to see many of you next Sunday. Um, well, however many come, that's how many we'll have, and it'll be that much more special uh, in, in some way, you know? I mean, if there's 15 of us, well, that'll be kind of neat, you know? If there's 50, whatever, if there's 100. Let's just, uh, those who can and those who aren't going to be with somewhere with family or whatever, Come on, and uh, we're going to keep it reasonable. Like 45 minutes total is the goal, so an hour. Um, <laughs> and uh, But seriously, we are. And uh, we're not even going to have to tear down afterwards because uh, we can, that week we can keep it there because um, they won't be in school. So we'll be able to just meet and have a nice time. It can be part of your day is what I'm saying, you know. 
And um, so we'd love to have you next uh, Sunday, same time as usual. It's going to be a different, it won't be a long sermon. The kids are going to be in here. It'll be a, uh, we're going through the Christmas story, doing songs uh, that go with the story. And I'll have a short talk, and, but it'll be a special time. I promise you'll be glad you came. Hope to see you then. Let's pray. Father, it's uh, no small challenge to be the church today. Um, I pray your word is, has given us light uh, for our path today and that uh, you've spoken. Um, as I've tried to do a bit of shepherding today, uh, pastoring today, uh, and as I prayed before, I pray that whatever was chaff, let it fall, and whatever was wheat, let it be applied. Change our hearts, change our lives. Let this be a Christmas to remember. We've got a week left to do some things differently, possibly. And I pray that we'll apply the things that you've spoken today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.